0: For those of you who don't know, I'm the associate pastor here. My name is Jonathan Romig. Uh, It's my pleasure to to give the message this morning. Uh, I'm excited, and uh, I'm just so happy that all of you are here. It's a a wonderful uh, Advent morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin. Father God, would your presence be made known here through your word? Would your Holy Spirit speak to us. Would you open up a space here and just help us listen to you and what you want us to learn this morning, how you want us to change, how you want us to grow. We love you, God. Amen. One of the best Christmas movies is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I know many of you might be thinking, well, this isn't really a Christmas movie. When I think of Christmas movies, I think of Buddy the Elf or Tim Allen's Santa Claus, or as uh, I semi-watched last night, Frosty the Snowman. But I actually think The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe has a lot of uh, interesting Christmas themes. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a Chronicles of Narnia. It was written by C.S. Lewis. And it's the story of Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund. And they make their way through a magical wardrobe to the land of Narnia. And in Narnia, they discover that it's always winter, but never Christmas, because a white witch has cast a curse over the land. She's cast a spell. And, and, and what they learn is that uh, one day Christmas will come, but it only comes with Aslan, the, the Christ figure, the Savior figure, the Jesus figure. Aslan is a lion and there's this scene in the movie where they think the white witch who, who rides around in a sleigh is chasing them. And they, it's very dramatic in the movie. They run across a, a, a lake and, and they hide under a bridge. Uh, and then they go out and they discover that it's not the white witch who's been chasing them. It's Father Christmas. And see, the curse is breaking. Christmas is coming. Because Aslan is coming because the Christ is coming, because salvation is coming, because God is coming. The nation of Israel in the book of Isaiah is facing winter exile. They are facing a time uh, where they will be uh, departed from their land. They'll be pulled out from their land. They'll be captured and, and taken captive. And they're facing this time of, 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 of hopelessness, of despair, of a long winter, wanting Christmas to come, wanting their Savior to come, wanting God to rescue them, but they're stuck. They get to this point because they've been rebellious, they've been sinning, they've been turning their back on God. The nation of Israel you have uh, northern Samaria, which is really Israel, and then you have southern Judah, which is the capital is Jerusalem, and together that, that make, makes up the, the people of Israel. And northern Israel is about to go into exile, Uh, and the prophet Isaiah is prophesying around 739 to 701 BC, and during this time, Samaria goes into exile, Uh, northern Israel goes into exile, and then about 100 years later, Jerusalem, Judah, is about to go into exile, And, and Isaiah is prophesying that Assyria is going to come and take you into captivity unless you trust in God. Instead of trusting in the nations, instead of trusting in that white witch, you need to trust in God. Don't trust in your alliances with anyone else but your Savior. And this is what chapter 34 is about. 34 is a judgment of Israel and the nations for not trusting God, for attacking God's people. And chapter 35 is a message of deliverance that Aslan will come, that the Savior will come, that Christmas will come. Today we're going to learn that our God delivers the desperate, he heals the hurting, and he leads the lost home. This is what Isaiah 35, 1 through 10 is all about. So if you're there, chapter 35, let's read. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness." The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and signs shall flee away." Our God delivers the desperate. In verses 1 through 2, we read that our God changes desert sin into garden grace. Our God changes desert desperation into garden joy. Verses 1 through 2 talk about a wilderness, a desert. This brings to mind uh, the nation of Israel when uh, they were traveling to Sinai in the 40 years in the wilderness. This, this time of, of being lost, of, of being separate from God because of disobedience to God. The word for desert in verse 1 is the word Ereba. And Ereba means dry or infertile region. It's a you know, desert area. And, and the Ereba was actually a name that is used throughout the Old Testament to describe a specific region in israel uh, and so if you if you look at a map of the middle east you get galilee the sea of galilee and you go south of that there's jordan and then a little bit further there's the dead sea and, the, and, and this stretch uh had about two inches of annual rainfall every year and and isaiah is using this metaphor uh the, the arab to describe really their spiritual uh, their metaphorical state because they have turned their back on god so uh on the inside, their, their soul is parched. They have turned their back on God. And because of that, God will take them into exile. And they will experience a type of desert loneliness there as well. And yet God is promising, I can change your desert into a garden. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse 1. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. The, the crocus, another word for this could be, asphodel or, or maybe a lily or a rose of Sharon. They're not exactly sure, uh, you know, what flower this is. But the image that we need in our mind is of a desert plain or like a dry, a very dry region. And then the rain comes and at the end of the rain, there's flowers that burst up through the soil. Uh, and, and God is promising, yes, I'm going to take you through this dry spell, uh, but by my grace, uh, you can blossom again. By my grace, you can find forgiveness, and I will bring you home, and I will, I will make you bloom. We see this further, that Lebanon, Isaiah describes the nation of Israel like Lebanon. Lebanon were these high mountain peaks that separated uh, the Mediterranean and the desert. And they were considered very glorious, just beautiful, over 9,000 feet. And Sharon is a lush coastal plain, and Carmel is a forested, hilly region. God is saying, I can change your desert sin into a garden full of my grace and my forgiveness. And God promises to come and deliver his people. God promises to come and take them from the desert and bring them home. Look at verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Weak hands, feeble knees, and anxious heart are the whole person. Uh, this, this reminds me of that image of head, heart, hands, uh, where your head is what you think, your hands are more of what you do, uh, and uh, your heart is, is kind of your emotion and, and what you believe and love. And this passage is saying, I can, I can strengthen all of you, down to your very core, down to your anxious heart, because you've been taken into this desert, I can strengthen you and I can make you new. New. See, Israel is going to experience deep feelings, feelings of abandonment. The nation of Jeru- Jerusalem, when Babylon comes and takes them into exile in 609 B.C., they're going to feel lost. They're going to feel lonely. They're going to feel abandoned by their God. And God is saying, no, I can restore you. I can heal you. Your whole person our passage tells them. Uh, Isaiah tells them that they don't have to be afraid because God is going to come and He's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver them clearly with vengeance and with salvation. And we see this uh, in verse at the end of verse five. It says, "Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you." And Isaiah is making several promises right here. He's promising the nation of Israel specifically that God will come in vengeance and save them. But then he's also talking about the the further picture of, of Christ's second coming of the end of days when God comes and saves all of his people. And God proved that he can do this in the way that Assyria, the nation that took Israel into captivity, and the way that Babylon, the nation that took Jerusalem and Judah into captivity, fell. See, both of these world superpowers pretty much fell overnight. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was destroyed in 612 BC by Babylon. The Babylonians and the Medes, they actually diverted a whole river into the city, and it destroyed the city. And Babylon fell in 539 BC by the Persians and, again, the Medes, uh, and, and Babylon was a huge city. It had two 11 by 30 foot walls. So these are huge walls and they were so big and there were two of them around the city that apparently you could ride uh, chariots, two chariots side by side all the way around the city. This is a huge city. And yet it also fell pretty much overnight when the Persians diverted the Euphrates again and they walked into the city of Babylon on dry ground. They diverted the river, and they came in on the riverbed. God promises to come and deliver his people with vengeance. He judged those nations for what they did to Israel. And God promises to judge uh, all who reject Christ and and who who, uh, make uh, believers suffer. God promises to come and deliver his people at the end of days. And it will be a day of vengeance. That's kind of a strange Christmas message. We're going to get to the salvation part, but first the text talks about vengeance. Uh, Sean Lawrence uh, actually shared a story with me that I thought described this uh, very well. He's not here this morning. They had their baby this week, which is exciting. Uh, but he shared a story with me of, his, of a near-death experience in Iraq, in Mosul, Iraq. In October 2004, he and 300 other mechanics were surrounded by 3,000 insurgents. Uh, And by 300 mechanics, the way he put it is, these were not Spartans, these were mechanics. They didn't want to fight. They were were surrounded by these 3,000 insurgents, and they were told, you have to make it through the night, because the tanks can't come and deliver you until the morning. He said this was one of the most terrifying nights of his life. Because at 10 p.m. or 2200 hours, uh, the front gate was attacked. And that's when they heard the sound of uh, a 50 caliber machine gun firing for just hours on end. And he knew that if this this machine gun stopped firing, he would be next. And he didn't like those odds at all. And at 0200 hours, 2 a.m., he heard the propellers of a C-130 gunship. So this is uh, an airplane that has Vulcan cannons that fire about 6,000 rounds a minute. Uh, And it came and it circled them uh, and it delivered them. It it fired down on the insurgents and it actually had to leave and and fill up three times ammo. And then finally, in the morning, they heard the sound of the tanks rolling and they heard the sound of salvation. He said one of his buddies actually had to pry his fingers off his gun uh, because he was so terrified. One day, our God will come and he will deliver his people. And that will be a day of vengeance. So the whole night sky lit up. It'll be the same way for us. God will come and deliver his people. And Christmas is a foretaste of that day. It It is the first taste of that coming final day. See, not only does this passage point to God's final judgment, of salvation, of deliverance, but it also points to the day that Jesus is born because it says our God comes. Our God comes and saves. So how is God going to come and save his people? Our God delivers the desperate. He heals the hurting through Jesus, through a baby, through God who took on flesh and became a man. Our God heals the hurting through Jesus. Verses 5 and 6 say, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Our God heals the hurting through Jesus. Verses 5 and 6 are signs that God will actually come And he will actually heal his people physically. And we see this fulfilled in the coming of Christ Jesus because uh, in Jesus' ministry, he was a miracle worker. He performed uh, signs that he was indeed God. And and some of the things he did was he he healed the blind so the blind could see. And he he healed the deaf so that they could hear. And And the paralytic and the broken, he healed them miraculously. And this is such a powerful thing. We, we read about it in Matthew eleven two through 5, uh, where we see uh, John the Baptist asking Jesus, Are you the Christ? Who are you? Verse 2 through 5 say, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them maybe some of you wonder well what would that look like to have jesus come and lay his hands on someone and have them here for the first time and we can actually get a better picture of that today uh, because of modern science so i actually want to show a brief video clip it's only 25 minutes Uh, 49 seconds, it's okay, Um, and it's a a video of a baby actually hearing for the first time, and and this is similar to what Jesus would have done uh, for people, so can we play that video? Can we get sound? What you don't hear is that the, the uh, what you don't hear is the child's name is Jonathan. So I really like that. <laughs> but the uh, the doctor says that is a that's what we call a late Christmas present. I like that the doctor says that because uh, this is what Jesus did. He came and he, he healed those that couldn't hear. And that was just like a small, simple picture of a child being healed, but this is what Jesus really did for real people. Imagine being able to hear for the first time. You see the look on that child's face. I watched a video of a 26-year-old woman who heard for the first time, and she got to hear the sound of her father's voice and the sound of her child's voice, and she broke into tears uh, because of what the doctors were able to do through modern medicine for her. This is what God does for us when he opens our ears and when he opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel. We have a, a similar reaction when we realize our sins can be forgiven. Faces light up and we realize that Jesus is God and he's come to save us. He hasn't come just to judge us, but to, to judge us wholly, to cleanse us. And we marvel and we're, we're, we're blown away by by our, our parents' love, our father's love for us, just like that child was just realized a whole new way that his mother loved him through her voice. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Our God heals the hurting through Jesus. Not everyone wants to be healed, not everyone uh, seeks this healing, they don't want to hear. Verse 7 says, the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The message of Jesus Christ can soften the hardest soil. Verse verse 7 talks about burning sand becoming a pool. Just think about that for a minute. Burning sand, it's sand that is so hot that it hurts your feet when you step on it. And God is painting this image. Isaiah is, is telling us that, that God is going to make a total transformation of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was hard soil. They didn't want to know about God. Uh, Isaiah prophesied for almost 40 years and the nation of Israel didn't turn around. There were a few good kings, but as a whole, the people continued in their sin and they continued in their rebellion against God. In fact, tradition tells us that Isaiah was actually sawed in half. The nation of Israel was bad soil. They were burning soil. And God promises that I'm going to take this soil, I'm going to turn it around, I'm going to make it into a a lush pool that's refreshing. New England soil is a little bit like burning sand. When we go out and when we share the gospel, it kind of hurts. Emmanuel, you should be encouraged because God says even burning sand can turn into a pool. So here in Chelmsford, Chelmsford's burning sand, but God can turn it into a pool. For the church plant, Westford is burning sand, but God can turn it into a pool. I had a conversation uh, with someone there uh, from Westford, just got to talk a, bit, a little bit about the community. It was very clear that Westford is a place that doesn't want to hear about God, that's very skeptical. Of all things, Christianity, God can take burning sand and make it into a pool. Be encouraged, if you've been praying for your relatives or for your family members, and you've given up, you've lost faith that they will ever come to know Jesus, God can take burning sand and turn it into a pool. Another image of this is a haunt of jackals becoming a place of grass with reeds and rushes. So one commentary said this is a picture of a barren place becoming an abundant place. And I actually think uh, the movie The Lion King illustrates this incredibly well. The Lion King uh, is a movie about Simba, a young lion who gets chased away from his pride by his evil uncle, Scar, Scar kills his father and chases him away and makes Simba think that it's his fault that his father has died. Simba runs away and joins Timon and Pumbaa, whose life philosophy is no worries. And one day he, he returns to fight Scar and to reclaim his throne. But while he was away, while the king was gone, Pride Rock has become a home for Hyenas. And the whole country has become a land of desolation, a a dry desert. And so Simba comes and he fights against Scar. He fights against the evil one and he overthrows Scar. And at the very end of the movie, the rain begins to fall again. New England was once a place of rich faith. We once trusted in the king, we once trusted in Christ Jesus and maybe it feels a little bit like he's gone right now, but he's not. Do you believe that as the message of the king, as we share the message of Jesus Christ with the world, that it can rain again? That it can become, that our, our wasteland can become a garden? The king has come. This is the message of Christmas. The rain can fall again. The message of Jesus can soften The hardest soil. See, the coming of Christ changes deserts into gardens. And what does Jesus bring with him that does this? Jesus delivers the desperate. He heals the hurting and leads the lost home. This is the central idea. This is the big idea. Jesus delivers the desperate. He heals the hurting and he leads the lost home. Verse 8 tells us that Jesus leads the lost into everlasting joy. To everlasting happiness, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. See, through Christ Jesus, we are provided a way of holiness. The text in the original uh, language it actually says highway twice in, in a row. It's highway, highway, and uh, none of the modern English translations pick up on it because it's kind of clunky. Uh, but a better translation of verse eight would be, "And a highway shall be there, a highway." And it shall be called the way of holiness. And I think the text is just emphasizing that God has provided a pathway to salvation. God has provided a pathway to himself through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. That if we confess our sins and trust trust in Christ Jesus, he will forgive us of our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what God promises us. He can lead us on the way of holiness. Bring us to himself. I like that uh, verse 8 says, it calls it the way, and then the second half calls it it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Do you remember what the, the first, the earliest name of Christianity was? It wasn't Christianity, it was called the way. We see that in Acts 9 verse 2. So Jesus wants to deliver you, heal you, and lead you home lead you into everlasting life. And it begins with a walk, with just walking with Jesus, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to walk with you, help me do that. I confess my sins, then I need you. The last part of verse eight says, and even if there are fools, they shall not go astray. At first I was very comforted by this, because sometimes I'm a little foolish. It says, they will not go astray. And this is certainly true, that if you trust in Christ, you can make mistakes, and, 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 and your salvation is not dependent on that, but on Christ. But actually, a better translation of this is, no fools will stumble upon it. Parallels the first part of verse 8, where it says, the unclean shall not pass over it. And what this is saying is kind of a warning. It's saying, trust in God, because to not do so is foolish. And that goes back to that image of vengeance, that God will come and judge all who do not trust in him, and it will be a perfectly fair judgment. Jesus delivers the desperate, he heals the hurting, and leads the lost home. 9 and 10, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and signs shall flee away. Jesus leads the lost home. Through Christ Jesus, we are provided a roadway, a pathway of holiness. And this talks about the redeemed and the ransomed who are being brought home. The redeemed and ransomed are those that have been bought by Jesus' blood. That God spent the blood of his son to purchase you if you trust in him. The redeemed to be bought back, the ransomed, to be purchased, to be paid for. If you think back to the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, uh, the picture you have in that story, the Chronicles of Narnia, is that Aslan has to pay the witch. Uh, for this, is, this is for those of you that really can think of the story. There's a, there's a scene uh, where Edmund has rebelled. He's, he's run away, he's joined up with the witch, he escapes, and the witch comes back to Aslan and says, he belongs to me, he's mine. And Aslan goes and, and dies on behalf of Edmund to pay the ransom to the white witch. And this is actually an inaccurate picture of the Scriptures, of the Gospel, because God is the one who has been wronged, not Satan. See, Christ Jesus, had, uh, God had to, uh, to, uh, to spend the life of his son on the cross to buy us back because we had wronged him. The redeemed and the ransomed are those who have been bought by God. God promises Israel that they will go into exile But one day he will bring them home. One day they will return. And yet, in verse 10, we see that this hasn't quite fully taken place. We see the everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Everlasting joy. Israel did return, but not to everlasting joy. I think everlasting joy is referring to that final end of days when God comes and he rescues us, his people, and he takes us to a new heaven and a new earth, which we studied in Revelation in the fall uh, of last year. Uh, God is promising us that he will take us into everlasting joy, and this will be our home in God's presence. God will have come, and he will have saved us. Jesus delivers the desperate, he heals the hurting, and leads the lost home. Maybe for some of you, this Christmas is bringing more heartache than joy. This isn't an easy time of year for some people. Well, if you're a believer, let the Christ child remind you of the hope that you have in God, that God has come, come in the flesh, come to love you, come to save you. And if you don't know Jesus yet, remember the difference between a desert and a garden. God promises to to fill your empty soul with his love if you'll trust in him. You don't have to be parched or thirsty anymore. A friend of mine lives in Australia, where they celebrate Christmas much differently than we celebrate Christmas. So Western Australia is is like a desert. It's not quite a desert, but it's similar, dry, arid. Uh, And whether they have Christmas there or in the other parts of Australia, it's very hot, and they'll have like a barbecue lunch, they'll have an afternoon at the pool or the beach, they'll eat seafood, They'll play some beach cricket. This is much differently than we in New England celebrate Christmas as we sit by our fires and freeze. <laughs> Maybe some of you feel like you're in the desert this Christmas. Where you've lost a loved one or, or you're overwhelmed with your own sin. Well, God promises forgiveness through Christ Jesus and he promises hope through him as well. And let me be an encouragement to you that you don't have to celebrate Christmas like everyone else. If you're in the desert, acknowledge that. And the way that we can celebrate Christmas, no matter whether we're having a wonderful holiday season or a terrible holiday season, is not by focusing on our circumstances, but by focusing on Christ Jesus, our Savior. They still manage to have Christmas in the desert in Australia. Let this be a sign of hope for us. Jesus delivers the desperate, heals the hurting, and leads the lost home. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace and your grace that you have given us through Christ Jesus. May we be encouraged by your word today. May we receive the forgiveness that you offer to us through Christ Jesus. And may we celebrate this Christmas even if we're in the desert. Jesus' name, amen.